Well, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is this unique time in the year that's kind of this buffer week between one year ending and another year beginning. And so this morning, what Josh and I are going to do is we're going to kind of look back at the year that was and look ahead at the year that's beginning. And we've called this message Stories and Plans. And so I'm going to take that story part and then I'm going to tag Josh in a little bit and he's going to hit that plans part. But one of the things I've discovered over the years is that when a year ends up in the rearview mirror and maybe it gets further and further away, when those years are done, they become stories. And when we look back in our past at the years that were, often what we do is we talk about the story of what happened and we tell a story of an event or an experience. Sometimes when a, when a year comes to mind for us or we begin to think about it, we go, huh, that was the year when. Actually, what I want to ask real quick for, for our team to give me a little bit more light in the room, maybe house half, uh, so we can have some folks who are our note takers be able to have space to do that. I uh, would appreciate that. But when you think about the years that were, and I mention a year, often you'll go, oh, that was the year when this thing happened. Like for somebody in the room or watching just by the, you know, number of people, for somebody in the room, 1998 was when somebody that you loved or care about passed away. And if they were lost in 1998, you go, man, that was the year that that happened, and I grieved. For some of us, 2009 was a year of incredible financial hardship. You might say that was the year that our house foreclosed, or we faced bankruptcy, or we lost our business in the recession. Others of you might say, man, 2017, that was a year when, when God finally answered my prayers, or I had a breakthrough, or something amazing happened. If I named other years, you might be thinking of other experiences and other emotions. For me, when I think about 2007, I think about the year that my wife and I really decided that we loved each other. I couldn't find a photo from 2006, and so I changed it to 2007, even though we met and started dating in 2006. This was an argument for a long time in our household. We've, we've solved that one. We're still arguing about other things, but we've solved that one. But this photo is from 2007. When you mentioned 2012, I think of that was the year I became a dad. And that was a year that that my life changed forever. Uh, 2016 was a year that that I will always remember. Yes, it was the year I moved to Prescott, but also was the year that I began to battle anxiety, panic attacks. I think I'd been battling them before. I just didn't have language for them. But when you mentioned those years, those are the things that come to mind for me. And maybe you have your own memories. And as, as this year ends, the question I wanted to raise and introduce for you this morning is this. What kind of story will this year be when you tell it? Because next year in 2022 or the next year in 2023 or a few years later in 2025, if God gives us the ability to live that long, we're going to tell a story about what we lived through. And nobody's going to make up that story but us because we're the ones who lived it. 2021 is going to come up and be like, hey, what was that year like for you? Oh, it was this, or You're going to have a way to put all of the experiences and the emotions and the moments and the people together into a story. Several years ago, I heard a speaker talk about an incredibly difficult year that he went through. He talked about just how how his life fell apart. Everything that he could count on was shaken. Everything that he had built fell down. It was broken. And he was kind of standing in the middle of it, uncertain of what was going to happen next. And he had a great friend. You discover who your friends are when life falls apart, who your friends really are. 
You think you know who your friends are when you're on top of the world, but you discover who your friends really are when your world falls apart. And his friend said this to him. One day, this is going to make a great story. Now, I'm not sure how he reacted in the moment. If somebody had told me that when I was going through something hard, I probably would have slugged him, you know. Um, I would not have praised him. I probably couldn't hear it in the moment. But it's the truth. That one day, this thing that you feel like is the worst thing ever, that you have no sense of how God is going to put the pieces back together, this is going to make a great story. You see, our decisions and our experiences, they eventually become stories. The things that we've been through, in the end, come together in a story that we tell. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk with you about what I have been learning. Because I'll be honest, just personally speaking for myself, 2021 was harder than 2020. Now, that's pretty hard because 2020 was one of my least favorite years in my existence. It was not a fun year. If you've not seen the meme, some of us are not looking forward to 2022 because 2022 is 2022. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I know, I know. Some of us aren't looking forward to 2022. <laughs> Let's not do that over again. But for me, just I'm speaking to myself personally here, there were some dynamics of 2021 that were even more challenging than 2020. There were some pieces of, of this, this year we've lived through that introduced a level of grief that I had not experienced before. I cried more in 2021 than I did in 2020. I went to my therapist more often in 2021 than I did in 2020. And I leaned on the people around me with greater intentionality because I needed them more in 2021. So I'm not, you know, super sad that 2021 is going into my rearview mirror. But in the midst of it, I've had to discern what am I going to say about this year when it's a story? Am I just going to say, well, this year sucked and I'm glad that it's over? Is that the story I want to tell? Am I just going to say oh, that was a terrible year and nothing good happened in it? Is that the right story to tell? Or is there something more? And late this year, I think it was in November, I stumbled into a passage of Scripture that changed how I'm going to tell the story of this year. And I want to share it with you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to open up to Isaiah chapter 6. If you're new to the Bible, it's totally okay. Isaiah is near the middle of your Bible. So if you have a physical Bible, open it up. You're probably going to hit Psalms. Head towards the back a few books, and you'll see the book of Isaiah. If you've got a digital Bible, you can just scroll down. You'll pass Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then you'll hit Isaiah. Isaiah is the first book of prophecy in the Bible, and it begins the section known as the Major Prophets. And, and in Isaiah chapter 6... There's this interesting line that opens up the chapter. And, and this line is, in the year King Uzziah died. Now, most of us don't know who King Uzziah is. He's not nearly as famous as King David or King Solomon. But, but King Uzziah had a long and massive reign. King Uzziah's reign is told about in Second Chronicles 26. And, and King Uzziah reigned for 52 years. Now, in any empire of any era, that's a long time. 
It's longer than I've been alive. And, and for most of his reign, it was an incredible reign. The people enjoyed prosperity. They saw military success. There was peace in the land. People saw financial prosperity. There was no famine. There was no drought. It was a great, great time. But over the reign of King Uzziah, something bad happened in his own heart that influenced his reign. In that passage in Second Chronicles 26, we read this. Verse 16 says, But when Uzziah became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. If you go back and read 2 Chronicles today, what you'll find is that King Uzziah violated the law of God. He went in and desecrated the temple, and as a result, he he became leprous. He, He got the skin disease, leprosy, which then and now means that you are isolated from society And you end your life in a very lonely place. And so when King Uzziah died, it was sad because he'd been isolated for so long. But it introduced an era of transition. I mean, we experience this every four years when there's a a political change of power with presidency. But if you can imagine going from 2020 or 2021 back to the early 70s, that's a really long time to not have any transition or change. And so in the year that King Uzziah died, nobody knew what was going to happen next. And especially with a king who began and generally was as good as King Uzziah was, who knew? And so if you have your Bible open, I just want to read to you the first four verses of Isaiah 6. And again, I stumbled back upon this in November, and God used it to really help me reset how I ended this year and how I hope to tell the story about this year. In Isaiah 6, verse 1, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voice, and the temple was filled with smoke. See, in in this moment and this year of uncertainty and change, of disruption and an unclear future, what happens in the life of Isaiah is that when the king died, he saw the Lord. He couldn't see it coming. He didn't expect it or anticipate it. But Isaiah 6 marks a dividing line in Isaiah's life. If you go home today and read the rest of Isaiah 6, which I would encourage you to do, what you discover is that this is the moment that Isaiah experiences a life-changing encounter with God that leads to his calling as a prophet. And out of this uncertain year, something amazing happens that we're still experiencing today. Just three chapters out after Isaiah 6, we get Isaiah 9, which I read from up here on Christmas Eve, where the prophet talks about a son will be born. And we'll call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those words come out of this moment in Isaiah 6. And I wonder, before Isaiah had this moment, how he filled out this sentence. 
in the year that blank. In the year that King Uzziah died, he had a lot of ways he was thinking about filling out this sentence. And there's a lot of ways that we can fill out this sentence. What are the things that happened to you this year? Good and bad. Victories and defeats. Celebrations and grieving. See, those are the elements from which we make a story. And I spent some time over the last couple months making a really long list of all the things that this year included. And then I felt God begin to challenge and speak to me and push me and call me out because in some ways I was telling a story about this year that I'm not sure fully reflected his movement, his work, his sovereignty. And so I felt like God began to challenge me to make my own sentence. In the year that blank, I saw blank. Now I'll be honest, when I first started, I wrote sentences like, in the year that I saw politics dominate our world, I saw people I respected treat one another in ways that disappointed me. In the year that I thought would never end... (laughs) I saw setback after setback and bad news after bad news. In the year that I ended up in the hospital with a panic attack, I saw myself at a level I never have before. Well, then I also said, in the year that I wondered what God would do, I saw his people come. In the year that some people left our church, I saw some people sacrifice and serve in ways that blew me away. And I began to use this formula, template, to allow God to reframe the year that was in ways that revealed to me all the areas where he was at work. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to invite you, if you've got one of these handouts here, to begin writing your own sentence. To begin telling your own story. I'm going to invite Josh and Liz to come back out here right now. And they're going to lead us in a song, but I'm going to encourage you just to remain seated. And if you want to sing, we're never going to stop you from singing in church. But I want to encourage you to use this time to begin writing your own story. And before you go today, I just want to encourage you to finish this sentence at least one time. Maybe today and over the next week, you might do what I've done and write 10 or 15 or 20 or 100. I don't know how wordy, voluminous you are. But I just want to encourage you that go back to my slides there for a second. I clicked out of them. I apologize. That's my fault. I messed that up. Uh, I just want to encourage you that at the end of the day, this year is going to be a story that you tell. And you may not be able to see it right now. You may not be able to discern it. But God has been working in your life this year. I'm 100% confident of that. I'm as confident of that as I am that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Sometimes it's really hard to see it. And I'm going to encourage you today to spend some time reflecting 
on the story you're going to tell about your life this year? What if you told the story in such a way that it left space for you to see how God was working? What if you told the story in such a way that allowed God to work in your year of uncertainty in the same way he did in Isaiah's? What if in the year that all the things that happened for you happened, you saw the Lord? No matter what else happened that year, that would be a story worth telling. That'd be a moment that'd be worth worshiping him for. And that would be something worth remembering and retelling and resharing again and again. So while Josh Liz, lead us. I'd encourage you to fill in those blanks and begin telling your story. Thanks, guys. Tag, I'm it. So Scott did a great job of uh, helping us look back on this year, and my hope and goal is to transition our gaze from the rearview mirror uh, to the windshield and even out onto the horizon as we begin to look forward to yet another year. And so I want to do that by taking us all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis. When God created man and woman, he created us in his image. And being created in his image means we get some distinct uh, privileges or benefits that other creatures don't have. And one of those privileges that we have is to plan for or project a future that does not yet Exist. I mean, it is a, a pretty cool thing to think about, that we, we can plan for um, a meal that we're going to eat tonight or a week from now. We can plan where we're going to vacation. We can plan who we want to marry. We can plan where we're going to live. We can plan what the remodel on our house is going to look like. It is a beautiful gift that God has given us to be able to see past this very moment and into the future a little bit. And for a lot of us, when the calendar turns from December to January and a new year rolls around, we take this opportunity to begin looking forward to this next year. And for people like me, I get excited about it because in a really real sense, you get a chance to hit refresh on life and get a, a, a new start to things that maybe fell short last year. Or you get to begin putting into practice and putting into motion the plans and the dreams and the desires that you have for the next 12 months. I personally get really, really excited about this time of year. But like Scott mentioned earlier, not everybody is in that same boat. I am well aware that there are people who get anxious thinking about the future because it's unknown. You, you don't know what's going to happen. And so that might cause some confusion or some anxiety and let's be honest, in light of the past two years and all that COVID has done to kind of rain on us, it causes a lot of frustration. And I've even found myself at times saying, why plan for anything when COVID's just going to mess it up again, right? Family vacations or family meals or whatever, it's just COVID's going to ruin it again. I am well aware that those people who are watching online, that some people in this room, they, they are on either side of that spectrum, those who are really anxious about this coming year and those who are really excited. And then there are some people in between. And my hope and my goal today is to speak to both sides of that, 
So if you're feeling anxious and maybe a little bit confused about this coming year, I hope that you leave encouraged. Because I do believe, tracing all the way back to the beginning, that we are meant as human beings to dream big and to plan big. But at the same time, there are some of us who are maybe a little bit uh, overzealous with our plans. And my hope is to speak to those people and to remind them that yes, we can plan. Yes, that is a good thing. But we need to hold our plans with open hands. Because we are not sovereign. We are not autonomous. There is actually a creator God who is at work with a much better plan than anything we could even dream of. So we need to hold our plans with humility. And so with that, I want to turn, if you're still in Isaiah, just flip a few pages to the left. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs. One verse for us this morning from Proverbs. It's a pretty well-known verse, easy to read, totally different to live out. This is a a little piece of wisdom that Solomon gives us. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 16, that a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. And this is a truth that's laid out in multiple places in Scripture. Earlier in chapter 16, it's mentioned. Uh, Again, later in chapter 19, it's it's mentioned. This is a a truth that's lived out in various characters in Scripture. You know, I think of Paul myself when I read this, because if you're familiar with his story in the book of Acts, he had a plan, he had a desire on his missionary journey to go to one part of the world, yet God redirected his steps to a different part of the world. This is one of those truths that you don't even have to believe in God or follow Jesus to know that there is a massive gap between uh, making your plans and actually walking in those plans. There is a huge gap. And so I've been asking myself this question as I'm preparing for uh, the message today and as I'm looking forward to this coming year. how, how, How do we, especially as followers of Jesus, make plans in a healthy way? Because again, there's a massive gap there. And so how, how can we make plans that um, maybe, you know, uh, can, can encourage those who are struggling with looking forward, while at the same time uh, keeping those who are maybe a little bit overzealous in check? I mean, how do we do this in a healthy way? And so I just want to give you three things today to remember when we make future plans. And I realize that there is way more that we can talk about. But Scott said, hey, we got about 15 minutes. And so this is what I came up with in about 15 minutes. I'm going to give you these three things and then just do a quick word on each of them. So the first thing is to plan humbly. I mentioned this just a few minutes ago. Just, just to remember to, to keep our, our plans in open hands, to plan humbly. The second thing is to commit everything. And then the third thing is to embrace the weight. So I think that these are three things that we can remember as we look forward to the coming year. So the first one, to plan humbly. James, the half-brother of Jesus in his New Testament book, wrote these words. He said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. He's talking to the person who has this grandiose plan to go to a certain place and to do business and to make this profit and who is in a very real sense very arrogant about their plans said hey the the person with this with this plan let me inject a little bit of humility into your way of thinking and so he says this next yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be 
For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Like, yes, you have this great plan of what you want to do, but don't forget that you don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. I was reminded of this this past weekend when I got a call about Stan. I'm like, I just saw Stan on Friday, and yet here he is in the hospital. Like how fleeting our life is. We're here one moment and we're gone the next. But what I love about this passage is James doesn't say, hey, don't ever make plans because you don't know what tomorrow is going to be. Like it's foolish to make plans. He doesn't say that. He says, look, instead of holding on to those plans with arrogance, do this. He says, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. He's calling us to season our plans with humility. And the way we do that is to adopt the language laid out for us here in this passage. To just work into our vocabulary and into our prayer life, if the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. That's how we hold our plans with open hands. We realize that there is a creator God who is at work that's sovereign and who has a plan that's so much better than ours. And so so we just get used to saying, if the Lord wills, We'll go on this family vacation to Disneyland, which we're still waiting to go on thanks to COVID, right? If the Lord wills, we will do this or we will do that. That's one of the things that we need to remember as we look forward to this coming year is to plan humbly. And this is something that I need to preach to myself, probably more so than anybody else, because this is one of those things that I can easily forget. And I find myself trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And instead of realizing, like, hey, this doesn't fit. Like, even my two-year-old son realizes it doesn't fit. I line it up, and I'm like, babe, give me the hammer. And I start, like, you know, getting ready to bang it in there and to force it and to make it work. And that never ends up well. And so, trust me, I'm preaching to myself probably more so than anybody else. In 2022, I'm going to season my plans with humility and just remember to say, if the Lord wills. The second thing for us is to commit everything. And if you're in Proverbs, stay there. Just jump up a couple of verses. In verse 3 of chapter 16, we read this. Commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be established. I love this verse because I did some study on it, and the, the Hebrew word for commit is actually a verb that means to roll. And various times in Scripture, it's, it's given to illustrate the rolling of a heavy stone. And so the picture for us here is how do we commit our ways? How do we commit our activities? How do we commit our plans to the Lord? Just envision all of those things, your plans, your life, your activities, is this massive stone that you literally roll onto the Lord, and then you take a step back and you let go. That's what it means to commit to the Lord. It's, hey, God, I did my part. I did everything that I possibly could. Now I'm taking what I've created. I'm taking my plan, my hopes, my desires. I'm rolling them onto you. And I'm not trying to nudge them in the direction that I want them to go. I'm taking a step back and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. Even if you take this in a direction that I wasn't expecting. Even if you decide to take a stick of dynamite to it and blow it up. I'm going to trust you with it. It's doing our part and then letting go and trusting God and saying, whatever happens, I'm going to trust you with it. That's what it means to commit everything to Him. And i got to be honest, this is a hard place to be and it is a hard thing to do. It is where Katie and I lived much of 2021 in this place of just committing and stepping back and saying, we're going to trust you with it. 
few months ago, I shared with you guys a little snippet of our story of the transition from uh, student pastor role to next steps role. And what I wasn't able to share then, because um, you know, there's, there's a lot of details that go into it, but uh, another little snippet of that story was I was fairly convinced that God was going to take us to the Pacific Northwest. I mean, that seemed to be the direction that he was going. And we did a lot of prayer and a lot of surrendering and saying, Lord, if this is your will, even if it's in the Pacific Northwest, we're going to trust you with it. And thankfully, you know, he guided in a different direction, and here we are today, and I'm grateful for it. But, you know, it's just, it, it, it's way easier said than done, I realize that. But if we can get to the place where we really commit things over to him, it makes those future plans so much easier when they change on us. So that's the second thing for us today. The third thing, and I think probably the hardest thing, is to embrace the weight. So going back to our verse for today, it says that a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Now for a lot of us, we spend the majority of our life lived right here in that comma. If you remember from grammar school, a comma is there to indicate to the reader uh, a pause, to take a break for a second before moving on. And isn't that where we live a lot of our life? In that pause? Because again, there is a massive gap between making our plans and then God guiding our steps to either fulfill those plans, change those plans, or completely obliterate those plans. And that gap is called waiting. And God is notorious for making people wait. Even when it's his own plan. Think about uh, pretty much any scripture or any character in scripture. We'll pick on David for a second. God tells David, hey, you're going to be king. I'd be thinking, oh, cool. Where's my like robe? Where's my crown? You know, like, let's make this happen. I was like, no, you're going to wait 15 years before you actually become king. Think about Abraham. God's like, hey, Abraham, come on outside. Look up at the stars. Try to count them. Oh, yeah, you can't. Well, guess what, buddy? That's going to be like your descendants. I'm Abraham. I'm thinking, I better get back to the tent. Like, this is going to take a lot. Like, this is a lot of work, right? I mean, come on. But God's like, no, you're actually going to wait 25 years before you get your promised son. He makes people wait. But that's a problem because we hate waiting. I have not met one person who said, hey, my top five, on, on my top five things to do in life is to wait. No, nobody says that. And just look around. We have all these inventions that show and demonstrate our, our hatred for waiting. We have microwaves. We have same-day shipping. We have uh, 5G networks. We have... Instant coffee, and if instant co- if you drink instant coffee, if Scott can harp on eggnog and peeps, I can harp on instant coffee. If you drink that, your goal should be to stop drinking instant coffee in 2022 and get some good stuff, right? But we have all of these things that just indicate our, our, our hatred for waiting. But honestly, who can blame us for not liking waiting? Because it's in the waiting that we face discouragement, it's in the waiting that we face despair. It's in the waiting that we come face to face with unmet expectations and change. Waiting is hard. And waiting hurts. 
And I think every single person in this room and everybody who's watching online has experienced that pain to some degree or another. I mean, think about it. Wasn't the plan to get married and then to have kids and, and have this family? And yet here we are eight years into our marriage and we're staring at yet another negative pregnancy test. God, I thought this plan was good. Why, why does it hurt so much? I know for a lot of people, it's, hey, I'm going to this doctor's appointment and, and I think I'm going to finally get some answers to all of my health questions. And you leave that doctor's appointment with more questions than answers. And it's in the waiting that we face another round of chemo. And it's in the waiting that we miss another job opportunity. I mean, waiting hurts. It's rarely fun. And yet, multiple times in Scripture, God tells us to wait on the Lord. You say, why? And I think John Orpert hits the nail on the head in one sentence, so I'm going to steal his quote. He says, waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. That's the tool that he uses to shape us and to mold us into who he wants us to be. We will not become more like Jesus without learning how to wait. It's often in those waiting seasons that he takes his chisel and hammer and does his best work. And no, it's not fun, but it's always good. And we can run from that or we can try to take matters into our own hands and and, and shrink that gap of waiting Or we can learn to embrace it. And I know that this is one of those things, again, it's way easier said than done. But we've got to remind ourselves that when God makes us wait, He's not depriving us, He's actually changing us. And I think one of the things that we can do to to learn to kind of lean into that waiting period is to adopt a prayer And to practice this prayer often, and it's a prayer that I stole straight from Jesus when he was in a time of waiting. If you're familiar with his story, before he goes to the cross, he he goes to this garden place to pray. And he is struggling because he knows what's going to come in the future. He knows the cross is ahead of him. And he's just being ruthlessly honest with God. And he's saying, God, if there is any way that this cup could pass, meaning that the events that are about to happen, if there's any way that this could pass, Lord, please let it pass. But then at the end of it, he says something that I know I would never pray unless I learned it from him. I don't think anybody would ever pray it. So I'm so glad that they're in, in, in Scripture. But if we can learn to pray this, I think it totally changes the way we look at the future and plan for the future. We just adopt this and we say, Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's a hard thing to pray. And I think it's one of those things we probably have to pray about 10,000 times before we actually mean it. But if we can get into the practice of, of, of just saying, Lord, it's not about me and it's not about my plans. And I realize that things are going to shift and they're going to change because we live in a broken world. And so God, ultimately, ultimately my heart's prayer is to say, it's not about my will, but yours be done. And we just adopt what I'm calling the surrender prayer from Jesus. We just offer up our lives and we say, Lord, whatever it is, whatever you have for me tomorrow, whatever you have for me a month from now, whatever you have for me next November, as we look forward to 2022, my prayer is not my will, but yours be done.
So I'm going to invite Josh and Liz back up on stage, and they're going to close with one more song. And as this song is being sung, I want to encourage you guys to begin practicing this prayer. Because there's probably something going on in, in your life. I don't know everybody's story, but a place where you can pray this and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. So I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we got one more song for this morning. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace, and your love. Lord, I am hopeful about this coming year. Um, because, Jesus, you are king. And we have a hope that extends beyond this broken world. And so, Lord, come what may this year, we pray that as your people, we would adopt this lifestyle where we hold our plans loosely, where we understand that you are at work with a much greater plan than anything that we could ever think of or dream or imagine. So Lord, help us to live as surrendered people where we honestly can pray, not my will, but yours be done. And so Lord, use us today, use us this week, use us this coming year to reach people the gospel message that brings so much hope to a dark world. So Lord, we surrender over to you, and that is our prayer, that your will be done, even above ours, even when it doesn't make sense, even when we struggle with it, Lord, we're going to trust you in it. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.